1: guys welcome to this week's podcast episode today we're going to be talking all about the workforce changes in the workforce um, trends and with that i've got a special guest scott Rupp. he's the author of i quit winning the war for top talent i had previous guests talk about this whole notion of the changing workforce and changing demographics and i'm really excited to have thought leaders on the show so scott welcome
0: hey thanks for having me it's uh, great to be here great show
1: Yeah, uh, thank you. And um, kind of tell people your background and your story and we'll dive right into it.
0: You know, I uh, uh, came from the world of business, obviously started off, I founded a couple of businesses, built them up, sold them off, then realized my passion was politics. uh, (laughs) Got into politics at a young age, um, served uh, four years in the Missouri House of Representatives at the age of 27, then uh, became the youngest state senator in Missouri's history. Um, And at one point, I was 41 years old and the most senior member of the Missouri State Senate, which was kind of weird being the most senior person and only being 41. Uh, Ran for statewide office thinking this is where I'm supposed to be. And then, uh, you know, life kind of just taught me a lesson of, hey, you can't continue at this pace. Um, You know, so I kind of had to kind of stop a little bit and look at the sustainability of my life. Um, And so what I did is I started the research sustainability and I applied it to people. And then when I started applying it to people, I was really able to tap into growing organizations and helping create sustainable employees. Um, And so now I'm a professional speaker. And then the book uh, just came out. Uh, You know, I quit winning the war for top talent, which dives into this huge paradigm shift of what's going on in the labor force. What's going on? Why things are different? And if you're a business owner, what you need to do to prepare to be successful uh, in this new labor paradigm?
1: Yeah, it's it's quite interesting because uh, you know I said fu to the corporate workforce back in 2008 when Lehman Brothers collapsed to you know create my own thing. And uh, what was interesting was, you know, I saw 2020 before it even came. I didn't even know it was going to come in the form of a pandemic, but Mm -hmm. I just saw people like not engaged and just kind of scraping by and just kind of, you know, playing drama and politics. So kind of talk about this idea of this workforce. And um, one thing is um, just uh, you talk about work wars, the revenge of the worker. And I
0: love Mm -hmm. this I mean, kind of interesting what you said. I mean, it you know, Lehman Brothers collapsed, and it kind of puts you out of your 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 routine. And what we find is that people don't really make any changes in their life unless they have a significant emotional event. I mean, if, you know, you go to the doctor and he says, "Hey, quit smoking, lose weight, exercise." You don't. Next year he says, "Quit weight, you know, lose, quit smoking, exercise. You don't do anything until you have a heart attack. And then you're like, whoa. So a lot of times it takes something big, a significant emotional event to get people out of their rut. And like what you were saying with Lehman Brothers, um, what, what, what really happened for the entire workforce was the, the COVID shutdowns. I mean, actually, mm-hmm. just, I just was looking, uh, uh, a new article came out from uh, four days ago on, uh, from the American Psychological Association that says the pandemic has called, caused a collective trauma amongst, amongst adults. And really, what it did is it it, it it caused trauma, and it gave a significant emotional event for people to reevaluate what's important, reevaluate why do I do what I do, and reevaluate is this really what I want? And hmm. then that's when people started to change. You saw the Great Resignation, where people started withholding labor from the labor force. You saw people doing their own thing, creating their own businesses, and so it's that whole collective mindset shifting of what workers are thinking about, you know, why am I driving 45 minutes to work every day when I can do the same job sitting at my kitchen table? So Mm. this is what's really caused this paradigm shift was the quietness of the pandemic that made people kind of stop and think about, why am I here?
1: Yeah. And the the other thing is uh, talking about this, because, you know, talking about other guests and some of the frustrations is you see you know corporate ceos they're commingling with politicians and kind of just accumulating just for themselves just at the expense of other people you, i mean you, see, you can see that in when you know the great financial crisis right. i mean you can see it and then also you talk about you know people so he's so essentially workers said take this job and shove it a collective up yours from labor to management i'm
0: yes I I mean, that's that's really what is, is people kind of started to reevaluate their life and say, why am I giving so much time to this organization whom, you know, if I get hit by a bus, they're going to have my advertisement for my position up and running before I've even been embalmed. I mean, it's like, boom, you're just a number to a lot. of. And so people started to decide, am I leaving my kids for this? And a collective up yours was kind of what the great resignation was, was, we're not going to do this anymore. And the paradigm shift used to be, hey, the CEO can do this and he can commingle this and he can treat people like crap and the company can do this. There's always going to be another worker to fill it. But what we've seen now is the collective labor market has said, no, 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 we're not going to deal with this anymore. We're withholding our labor because we want something better. And that's a big paradigm shift to where now CEOs They they have to start paying attention to things that they've never paid attention to before. It was always bottom line, bottom line. Now they're having to pay attention to. I mean, how are we getting the top talent? How are we? What's our retention rate? Stuff they used to farm out to HR. Now that's like like number one dashboard on the CEOs now is is their labor force, which is a huge change from ten years ago.
1: Yeah, the other uh, you know I give talks to um, to uh, students and groups, and one of the Key questions is um do w- the one of the top questions is do I need to go to college and then the second question is after I graduate you know do I want to go work for a company or do I want to go start a company? As those are the two options and it's quite interesting because you know in, back in my days it was all always you're gonna profession or go work for a company. Yeah,
0: it's it, it and you're exactly right. You're and you're you've seen post pandemic you've seen the number of new business starts just skyrocket. For a lot of people, who are like, hey, I'm going to invest in myself. I'm I'm going to do that. And then you're also seeing, you know, the the pricing out of people in college of, hey, why why should I go into two hundred thousand dollars of debt, you know, for a job that's going to pay me forty thousand dollars a year? And and a lot of times it's just so really. Tr- and then you're seeing the labor market say, hey, we need electricians, we need carpenters, we need this. And so the pay for those positions is 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 going up because. There's not that many in the labor market. So you're seeing the labor market get really strong, uh, you know, as far as getting higher wages in, in in key positions. And you're even seeing it in the rise of unions. I mean, unions used to be, you know, very unpopular at their lowest stages. And they've had a resurgence in the last couple of years because people are looking for something more out of their employment than what they have been getting. And if the employer isn't providing it, the union starts to look kind of attractive.
1: Yeah. Would you bring up this uh, idea of unions? Because there's um there's a Walgreens, CVS um, pharmacist strike. There's a there was a Kaiser strike. There was yeah. a the, there was automobile strike. There yeah. was um what else was there? There was like a oh uh, Hollywood strike. Right. And so sure. um, this conversation would be amiss without mentioning AI because um you know sure. for example just kind of example you know my business, I, you know went from uh, editors and employees to more like software and AI right. and a lot of business owners. If you don't use AI, you're kind of in trouble now. So, how is AI changing the um, landscape? <laughs> if well, COVID wasn't enough,
0: <laughs> AI is going to change the landscape massively. But we've already we've already kind of seen that because it's just another level of creative destruction, which is inherent yeah. in capitalism. Is is technology is going to cause creative destruction? You've seen it with. I mean, look at what the iPhone did. I mean, just yeah. look at, you know, you said Lehman Brothers, you know, used to walk on, there used to be a trading floor with all these people trading. Now it's all done by computers and it's a ghost town. I mean, know, so we've seen this technology continually to happen and, you know, to, to just creatively destroy certain industries, but other ones have, have popped up. So. You know, I know a lot of people ring the 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 alarm bells of AI is going to take our jobs and stuff. But you can say the same thing about the internet. You can say the same thing about you know cell phones and 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 everything all the way back to you know the automobile replacing the the the, the horses and the carriage and the and the footmen and everything. But that that is capitalism. It's creative destruction at its best, and that's why it's important that companies and leaders of organizations have to make sure that they're keeping it simple. That they are focusing on what they're good at and do it and execute greatly, attract the right people, treat them well, because with this creative destruction, if, if you are not you know hitting all cylinders, then you know you're easily going to be overtaken in in some way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, which brings me to the uh, question of um, you know regulation, and uh, also this question would be amiss without mentioning the government, because government, whenever they see technology and kind of this impingement and kind of more democratization and more freedom, they come in and either try and ban it or True. they try and pick winners. And what is the government's role in all of this?
0: Well, I mean, for a lot of times, <laughs> you know, the better it's better if government stays out for the most part, because <laughs> they do end up being very reactionary. And then they end up picking winners and losers, exactly like you said. And I mean, I served 20 some years in, in, in politics and, and it is, it's the ones that have access, the ones that, I mean, just take a look at the cryptocurrency market. You had Sam Bankman-Fried, who was committing the biggest fraud in that whole market, was really cozy with the SEC coming up with friendly uh, you know, regulations for the crypto market that was going to you know, obviously benefit themselves. And so those with money, those with access tend to be the ones writing the rules and regulations. It mm-hmm. maybe isn't the best for the consumer or best for the industry, and it maybe it's just best for a few. And when I was in politics, we we would spend 30% of our time fixing the stuff that we did the year before or the year before that because of mm. all the unintended consequences. And granted, a lot of these people, I mean, I was one of them, just because you win an election doesn't mean you know crap about, you know, whatever it is you're trying to regulate and, and stuff. So then it's who are you listening to? So,
1: yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because I had a... Um... A colleague of mine, he runs a sub stack and he was talking about because he worked in DC and he said, you know, you know, it's just basically backroom deals and, you know, mm-hmm. corruption, you know, kind of bribe bribes and favors, trading favors. Um, which is interesting because you're, you know, the when we were talking about like the the big winners, kind of you look at the like the S&P and the Dow Jones and Nasdaq, like the key winners this year are only a handful of companies right. making up the majority of gains. Go ahead.
0: No, I mean you're you're spot on. I mean it's it's the handful of, of of a few companies are driving the market, and when you get into politics, it's who have access. It's not all bribery or or corruption, <laughs> but it's who has access and who who has built the relationship and who has paid and who has the lobbyist and who has the time. You know, the average guy working on Main Street trying to build his business. I mean, he doesn't have time to do that. But you know, you get the big corporations that can have giant government relations teams. They're gonna they're gonna drive the narrative.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So kind of talk about uh, your book and um, kind of talk about, you know, the kind of um, key psychological reasons behind changing attitudes and what led you to write the book um, and we'll get more into it.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, what led me to write the book was, you know, I mean, I was burning the candle at both ends. I was running statewide, running businesses, you know, know, family, five kids, you know, and the only time that my world was quiet was 5 a.m., and that was when I was in the shower, and I'd have like 10 minutes where the world was quiet. And and I and I would just be in there, and this, this phrase would repeat in my mind. It would literally start in this side of my brine and just go across the, the forehead like a ticker tape. And it would simply say, simplify your life. Simplify <laughs> your life. And so my brain was quiet. Everything was quiet. And that was what it was telling me was, I can't take this anymore. So I had to figure out, how do you simplify your life? I mean, that's impossible to do, especially... So I did what I always did is I ignored it and I pushed right on through and I kept overstimulating and overworking and everything. Um, but you know, I did have an, a blessing in my life is that I lost my statewide election by 7 tenths of 1%. Uh, mm. And so I am so thankful for those people that voted against me because it got me out of a toxic environment and it helped me to take a step back and reevaluate my life, what I want, what, what kind of relationship do I want with my kids, what do I want to leave behind. And so that's when I really started looking for something more sustainable. That's when I when I decided to write the book. Then when the pandemics came around, I started watching everybody around me go through the same thing I had went through 10 years earlier. Mm. And I started to dive into the psychology of it. My wife's a, a mental health counselor. And so she got really deep into the brain. We started talking about trauma and PTSD and why do people act the way they do after they've had trauma. And, you know, they start to, you know, to look for different meanings and things. And so it was just this eye-opening experience of what the entire country and the world was going through. I mean, some people had trauma within traumas. Imagine if you had the lockdowns. What if you lost a family member? You couldn't go visit them. What if you, you know, lost your job at the same time? And PTSD changes our brain makeup. It changes how we think, how we approach problems. And so we started to see this playing out. It's still playing out. I mean, they just did the survey, the American Psychological Association, and, and basically said, hey... The United States has collective trauma. And so that's what led me to write the book is so people would understand this is where your employees are. So if you don't know where they are, how can you meet them and, and give them what they need? And then the second half of the book is all about you it's giving your employees what they need, understanding their trauma, understanding what they're happening, what we need to do. And then you tie in, you got millennials, you got younger generations that are making up the bulk of the workforce now. Most of the CEOs are or boomers or older, you know, or maybe Gen, Gen X like a uh, uh, me, that creates a weird dynamic of culture clashes within the uh, within the workforce.
1: Mm, I love that. And um, kind of uh, a two pronged question is, um, how do you hope it'll impact the way leaders approach talent management? And what advice would you give leaders who are struggling to retain top talent in today's competitive sure. job market?
0: Yeah, I mean, so if I had to say an overarching thing is you got to get to know your employees. And I don't mean just get to know, oh, hey, it's Bob from accounting and he has two kids and he lives in the suburb. No, you got to get to know, understand you know, who they are, what motivates them, you know, what is their learning style? I mean, everybody has different types of what is Bob's learning style? How does Bob want to be appreciated? What's his style of appreciation? And so until you, until you understand all these things about the people that you're, you're supposedly leading you're not going to be able to understand what they need. And that's what the big disconnect is, is between what employees you know need and what the employer thinks they need. And so it's a huge yeah. disconnect. So getting to know them, using behavioral analytics, understanding the personalities on the teams you're building and how they work together and what they need. I mean, for, for an example, you know, I walked in my office today and there's, there's a young lady, awesome. But if I don't say hi to her, she will think that I'm upset with her. And she will internalize it her whole day, and she will fret about it, and her work product just goes down. But I know that about her, and I know that I have to stop and say, hey, how are you? How was your weekend and stuff like that? It means the world to her, that one or two-minute interaction, and then she's a rock star. But her personality is that she is going to internalize that if she thinks something is wrong. I know that about her, and I know what I need to do to lead her to get the best out of that. And so there's a lot of things that really people have to understand about You know what people are needing inside their own companies right now um and so that's you the second thing is you know one tip for leaders is quit trying to be the most interesting person in the room and become the most interested person in the room that Mm. is when my leadership went to the next level i always was like oh i want to talk to that guy oh this guy i had an agenda when i walked into the room and oh (laughs) wow this person now it's like who can i dive into and learn about more and who in my team can I dive and learn about more, rather than telling them some you know great thing that I did or what TV show I was on or something of that nature? So, quit being uh, interesting and become interested. That's a huge, huge thing for leaders.
1: I love that. I think you know that key you know would be it's worth the entire convo. Um, and then lastly, is you know kind of we have um, closing. Looking back at your long political career? What surprised you the most? And how can people find the book and reach out to you?
0: Well, uh, you know, (laughs) what surprises me most after my long political career is Mm -hmm. the number of people that I know that are in or have served in federal prison. So it is, (laughs) uh, it is kind of shocking. That's not what I went into. This was such grandiose. All these are wonderful people we should put on a pedestal. And it's not, not the case. The whole environment is toxic. And it, and it does take good people and, and lead them uh, 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 you know, astray. So that's always uh, always the thing. But by knowing that, you know, by knowing what the true nature of people are and understanding who they are and how they work and their personality and what they're looking for, what they're needing, I'm able to lead them better in stuff by understanding. Okay, this is and I you can see toxic relationships starting to form in your organization, and if you can head those off, then you can really save people from 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 you know damaging your company and damaging themselves
1: i love that uh what a fantastic way to end it um and looks like check out uh, for all the audience out there check out scott's uh, website he's got all of his social media youtube uh, twitter linkedin facebook and uh thanks so much for coming onto the show
0: hey I, I appreciate it and just to go to amazon the book is uh i quit winning uh, winning the war for top talent uh, love to get your thoughts leave a review would would really love to hear and just reach out to me and keep the conversation going but dr thanks so much you've you've really been a great host
1: yeah I, I loved it and I'll, I'll definitely i'm gonna check it out as well and the link to the book will be in the show notes as well awesome.